Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we start a new series. It'll be a five-part series that we're doing, five Sundays that we'll be dealing with this topic uh, of the fall. If uh, you'll notice the graphic that was there uh, that Brandy put together for us, it shows uh, this tree, but the root system looks like a, a DNA uh, you know, sample, if you've ever seen that, the structure of a DNA. Uh, I really like that when she showed it to me about a possibility to use as a graphic for this series. And here's why. Our spiritual DNA goes back to the fall of man. Uh, Yes, it's fall of the year and the leaves are changing and autumn and leaves falling and things like that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're going to talk about the fall that man experienced. Uh, The fall that caused man who had a relationship with God, face-to-face relationship with God to lose all that, uh, a fall that affect, affected the very way that he thinks, <clears throat> the very way that, that he operates, that even affected his eternal destiny because of this thing doctrinally that we call the fall. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these topics. We're going to talk about doubt today, uh, and then we'll move from doubt to denial. Uh, it's kind of a, a just little buzzwords in this story that takes place. Satan wants Adam and Eve to doubt what God had to say, and then he outright denies uh, what God has said. That leads to spiritual and physical death. That also leads to distance between them and God because they're put out of the Garden of Eden, and it even affects their descendants. So that's what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks. It's not just a historical lesson either. You you need to understand that this is more like a wake-up call for us because the same elements of the original fall, Satan still wants to use those things to trip us up today, to make us fall, to make us make wrong choices uh, in our own lives. It's really important doctrinally to study this also. Because you see, if we did not have Genesis 3 and 4 in the Bible, then the rest of it wouldn't make a lot of sense. You know, because from the fall of man, from Genesis 3 and 4, what we have in the rest of the Bible is God's story of how he redeems us, of how he reaches down to mankind because of our fall and how we can be restored back to him. Paul's argument and his discussion of justification in Romans wouldn't make a lot of sense if you didn't have Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis 4 in the Bible to where we'd understand why we need to be justified, to where we'd understand there's a first man, Adam, that really messed things up, but thank God there's a second man, Adam, that fixed it for us as he came and died on the cross for us. So today we're going to talk about doubt, and we're going to be in these first three verses. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. This serpent that we know of from the rest of the Bible, and we'll talk about that in detail in a moment, we know to be Satan. And, and Satan comes in with this beginning approach to get Eve to doubt what God had to say. That's also the same step that he wants to use in our lives. Because if he can plant a seed of doubt in our minds, if God is being truthful with us, or if God is really being as good to us as he should be, then that will kindly open the door if he gets that seed of doubt in our minds to take us down a pathway that leads further from God or further from God's best for our lives or what God desires for our lives. He, he wants us maybe to think like this. Did, did God really say that? Is that really God's intention? Is that really what God had to say? So as we think about doubt being a stepping stone, toward this thing called the fall. I want you to notice three main things today. First of all, I want you to know there's an enemy that uses doubt. There's an enemy who uses doubt. So now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He's referred to as a serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at several names of this enemy. And the reason I'm taking time to talk about the enemy, you need to understand he's exactly that. He's not a friend. He is actually an enemy. He actually wants to do you harm. He's not the Hollywood version of Satan that you might see. He's not the comic book character Satan that wears a red suit with a tail that's pointed and carries a, a pitchfork. Because if that's all you think he is, you're really missing some great warnings that you need to have about, about this serpent. Now, I'm not going to take time to read all these verses because you'll have them in your notes. I'm just going to kind of peruse through them fairly quickly to help you understand who he is and how negative he is and the fact that he is really an enemy. He, he's called a serpent in Genesis that we've already read, but Paul also calls him a serpent in 2 Corinthians. Uh, when we continue going through the Bible, here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 12, look at all the things he's called here. He's called a dragon. He's called a serpent. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. He's called a deceiver. He's called an accuser of the brothers. The word Satan literally means adversary. The word devil means a slanderer. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to slander you. He wants to slander God and make a second guess the very character of God uh, himself. And he is all those things that's mentioned there. In the Bible, we're also told this about Satan. He's a roaring lion, Peter tells us. And he says, he's seeking whom he may do what? What does it say? I don't think that's a positive thing, do you? That doesn't sound like he's wanting to do you good. We're also told in Revelation chapter 9, there's a couple of names that are used for him, Abaddon and Apollyon, and those two words mean this, destruction and destroyer. That's what he's about. That's what he wants to do with you. He wants to destroy you. We're told in the Bible that he's a murderer and a liar. Jesus called him that. He said he's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar. He's even the father of lies. 
Jesus said he's the evil one in that parable about the, the soils. He said this evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in the heart. Or are you getting the image that he's not your best friend? The Bible calls him the, the, the God of this age or world. Now, it's a little G, and I'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But, but he's kind of the one that's controlling, trying to control this world system that we live in. He's referred to as the prince of the power of the air. Another way to phrase that is he's like the, the ruler of this world system that we live in today. All negative stuff. All stuff that ought to point us and warn us that he's not our, our friend. Not just his names, but we need to also understand what his games are. His games. Because here in Genesis, it tells us he was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now, now that phrase for crafty means cunning in a bad sense. To be prudent in a bad sense has the idea of maybe smoothness. Uh, use a snake for an illustration to help understand that for a moment. Snakes can move with a lot of grace. Snakes can be very beautiful. And, and I don't know, it seems like to me the ones that are most dangerous are the ones that have the you know, most pretty patterns on their skin. And, and yet, what a snake does, it, it lies in waiting for something. It, it is crafty. It's, it's lying in waiting for some type of prey. Now, now, some of you might get upset at me because you like snakes. Uh, and, you know, I had to deal with that a little bit, Jessica. Uh, Jessica likes anything under the sun. I think anything that's an animal, uh, you know, a dog. I, I, I feel sympathy for Matt because Jessica would probably take home every dog in the world if she could uh, and, uh, and, and everything. But when she was growing up, she wanted a snake, which was fine as long as it stayed in the cage. I was out of town one time. Becky called me and said, the snake's out. So, you know, there she's having to collect the snake. Then that snake got out again later on. We still have not found it. If you come to our house and something bumps under the couch, I don't know, it might be it, you know. Then we got another one, you know, later also, she eventually, thank God, sold it. It also got out. We didn't know where it went. And we walk in one day and it's sitting on the luggage we had downstairs, just sitting there, I guess, waiting for something to eat. Lying in wait, cunning. And, and some of you might be thinking, but, I, but pet snakes are fun and everything. They're not really that crap. Yes, they are. They're lying in wait. It's waiting for you to drop a mouse in a cage so it can catch it. They're crafty. They lie in wait. Pretty good description of Satan. And where a very pretty snake can also be very dangerous if it bites you, Satan comes to us with really attractive things on the outside where the beauty's only skin deep. But it's really, really very dangerous if we play with it. That, that's a picture of who he is. That's the kind of games that he has, that he was even playing with, with Eve, and the kind of games he wants to play with us, make things look attractive until, until it bites us. And we understand how dangerous it really, it really was. We also need to talk about his origins for a moment this enemy that we're talking about in this series. It said the serpent that the Lord God had made. And that's not just talking about that bodily form of the serpent that Satan appeared in. Satan himself is a created being. 
Don't elevate him to deity. Some people do that in their minds or in their practices as though, you know, he's this all-powerful being. Some people use the excuse, well, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything. He's not even omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He was a created being. The Bible tells us in Job that when God created everything, there's even a point in time when Satan, who would have been in verse 7, it said, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Previous to that, God's looking at Job and he's saying, Job, you want to give me advice? Tell me, were you there when I made every creation? Were you there when I laid the depths? Were you there when I did this? The answer would have been no. And he said, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Satan would have been included in that phrase because he was a created being. Most theologians believe he was like this anointed cherubim and maybe even had the responsibility of of praise and worship because of some things that are said in the Old Testament, originally in heaven before he had his fall. So what happened to him if he was a created being in heaven, if he was like this special anointed cherubim? Isaiah said, how are you falling from heaven, O day star, the son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's what happened to him. He was a created being, and he was lifted up with pride in his heart. And more or less, Satan kind of said this, I'm going to kick God off the throne, and I'm going to take his place. But instead, what happened, he said, you're brought down to Sheol, to hell, to the grave, the hell for now, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? He was lifted up in pride as though he would take control and and he had aspirations of replacing God, being God even himself. Ezekiel tells us this, And I destroyed you, O guardian cherubim, From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then it goes on to say, I cast you to the ground. Satan is not a God. Satan is not deity. Satan was a created being that God himself made. But... You can't ignore the fact that he's real. The same Bible that teaches you John 3.16 tells you that there is a real devil, a real Satan in a real place called hell. And you can't ignore the reality of that. That's the enemy. And this enemy wants to use doubt. So the second thing I want you to notice this morning is this, the enemy's strategy the enemy's strategy of doubt. We've already read this phrase, now the serpent. And then later on in the verse, it says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
Let's talk about two things regarding Satan's strategy. The first one is disguise. Disguise. Satan disguised himself. The Bible says, now the serpent. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 through 15, that Satan even appears sometimes as an angel of light. He transforms himself. He can imitate. He's not an originator. I, I read one commentary this week that said he's not an originator. He's not a creator, but he has a false thing for everything that God has that's real. He said, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Why, why would Satan disguise himself as an angel of light? Well, I think maybe for this reason. If Satan showed up looking like the Hollywood Satan, the Hollywood devil, with a real demonic face and everything that you've got in your image as you've seen in the movies, if, if he showed up exposing himself like that to you, you probably would think, unless you're crazy, you probably think, I don't think I want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to hear a thing you have to say to me. That's why he shows up differently. That's why he shows up in a way that makes us think, oh, that's good. That's attractive. That, that's something that I think I'm interested in, that I would like to be drawn to. And he shows up as an angel of light because his goal is to disguise himself so we will not understand who he is and what he's about and what he's wanting to do to our lives. When he came to Eve, he was in the image or the disguise, or maybe he took possession of a serpent. It's interesting to note that Eve did not seem surprised that this serpent was talking to her. Now, don't go off and start your own denomination on this, but some theologians have conjectured that maybe that meant before the fall, that there was some way that animals communicated at a different level uh, than they do with us today, you know. That could be neat sometimes. My dog could come up and say, I'm hungry, and I would know it's hungry, or I need to go pee instead of peeing on the floor. You know, they could just talk. But maybe at some point in time they did that. But she doesn't seem shocked or worried or afraid when the serpent approaches her and starts to talk. Now, I dare say that's a different reaction than many of you ladies would have. Or some of us guys might have. Finish the phrase for me. The only good snake is a amen. So you probably would have had a greatly different reaction. But you see, he, he shows up disguised. And the truth is, he still disguises himself. He was disguised here as a serpent. He can be disguised as a pastor. He can be disguised as a Bible teacher. He can be disguised as an atheistic college professor. He could disguise himself as a judge who just decides that he wants to overdo a vote of the state of North Carolina. He can disguise himself as a politician. 
even a politician who says, I'm a Christian. He can disguise himself in a lot of ways. Satan is a great impersonator. He has a lot of counterfeit stuff. He has counterfeit righteousness in the Bible. That's not a real righteousness. He tries to make people believe you can work your way to heaven. That's the way to go about it. He has false ministers. We're not going to read these verses. You can take it home and study it. It'd be a good Bible study for you. He has a false gospel. He has false brothers and sisters that oppose the true gospel. They're counterfeit Christians in counterfeit or false churches that God calls the synagogues of Satan in Revelation chapter 2. And in these assemblies, they have their deep secrets being taught. Now, here's a little free, free suggestion, piece of advice from me to you at this point in the sermon. If you hear someone crop up and they say, I've got a new truth that no one has ever seen in the Scriptures, you can pretty much mark it down. It's a false teacher and it's heresy that they're proposing. Because the Bible even says there's nothing new under the sun. And there have been people studying the Bible for years and years and years and years. And if somebody pops up and says, hey, here's something brand new everybody else has missed, I can pretty much guarantee you, you don't need to listen to that person. Satan has all of these false things, trying to impersonate the reality that God really wants for us, and he disguises it so he can use his second strategy. And the second strategy is deception. And the way he deceives Eve in this particular story that we're looking at from Genesis in the Old Testament is he questions God's word. I feel impressed to run a side rabbit for a minute. Will you let me chase a rabbit just for a second in, in the sermon? A lot of people will look at the Bible and they'll, they'll say, well, that's just a fairy tale. That's not real and everything like that. And there are a lot of people in this day and time that do that. Do you understand that? You see, the problem is this. If you start to deny parts of the Bible that Jesus himself referred to and said is true, you don't just have a problem with you believing the authority of Scripture. You're starting to doubt the very deity of Jesus because if he's God, he knows what he's talking about. Do you understand that? So this isn't just some fairy tale that we're talking about. He said to the woman, did God actually say? He's planting a question in her mind. And the way he phrases it, he says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. See, that's not what God said. He, he, he repeats it. He quotes it the way he wanted to quote it. He, he misapplies what God had to say. He changes the words of God because what he's wanting to do is raise in the mind of Eve doubts about the truthfulness of God and even doubts about the character of God, God's love for her. You can paraphrase what Satan says maybe like this. Do you really mean that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? If God really loved you, he'd be more generous than that. Hey, he's holding out on you for a reason. See, he'll try and get you to think those same things about God still yet today. 
he'll want us to question what God really said. He wants us to question what God's motives are and, and think God's just some mean legalistic spoil sport that's trying to keep things from us. That's the suggestion that he's making, the implication that he's making to Eve. As he brings up these questions and he said, did God really say this? I think he intentionally quotes God in error and he's trying to make it sound like God had prohibited Adam and Eve from eating from any tree, from every tree in the garden. When the truth of the matter is, there is only one prohibition they cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that, by the way, was not God being mean spirited. It was not God being restricted. It was not God holding back on them. It was God looking out for them. Because the moment they ate of that tree, they not only began to physically die, I believe that moment they started to physically die. You can see the fruit of it later on when they die, when their descendants die. But something else very important happened. Their innocence died the very moment they ate of that fruit. All of a sudden, they're aware of some things that aren't right. They're ashamed. They're, they're guilty. Even run and hide from God when he when he starts to show up, they're, they're guilty about things. Will you think about this for a moment? See, I've made bad choices in my life. I've not always listened to what God said, and I'm kind of assuming that that's true of every one of you. Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to live your whole existence face-to-face in the presence of God? Can you imagine what it's like to never have any regrets, to never ever feel any shame, to never ever feel any guilt in your life? Can you imagine how much better of an existence that would have been? See, God was looking out for them. Innocence died the moment they partook of that fruit. Oh, yes, they became sinners. Yes, they're separated from God. And all that is tragic and it's part of the story and why we're dealing with this and why Jesus came and died on the cross. But God wasn't holding out on them. God was looking out for them, trying to look out for their, for their best. Remember what we said earlier about Satan. He is a what? Liar. The plot of Satan here is designed to blemish the reputation of the divine lawgiver. It's an attack. It's an affront to God himself. He's wanting Eve to think less of God. He's wanting Eve to think that God is maybe unreasonable. He's wanting Eve to be uncertain about what God said. Because Satan understands if he can make Eve think that Maybe God didn't say that, and she's uncertain about what God said. Or if he can lead Eve into believing that God's an unreasonable God, he just expects way too much, then that opens up the door for rebellion. That opens up the door for her to walk away. And that's the exact same thing Satan wants to do with us. Satan wants you to be uncertain about what God has said. 
Satan wants you to think that God is unreasonable in some way, and that's the goal of his deceptions. Satan's tactic is this. He knows that as long as in our minds and in our hearts we hold to the Word of God, closely to the Word of God, then he doesn't have much of a chance. But if he can get us to doubt and be uncertain and think God is unreasonable, then that opens up the door to where he can move in. In this story, we see Satan question God's Word, deny God's Word next week, and then he'll eventually substitute his own lies for God's truth. And that's what he's still about. He wants to deny God's word to you. He wants to substitute his truth for God's truth to to lead you down a path that you don't need to go. So what's the defense for that? If we've seen Satan's tactics, one of being uh, using this disguise, looking like an angel of light, uh, one of using deception, what is our defense? How can we defend against Satan's strategy? Well, Jesus gave us a pretty good model, a pretty good example of that. When he himself was being tempted in the wilderness. Now, here's this part of the story. But here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. And what did he say? What did he say next? It is what? It is written. Read the whole story. To every temptation that Satan brought to Jesus, Jesus repeatedly said this, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's the same thing you and I need to hold on to. Because when Satan comes to tempt us and mislead us, we need to hold true to God's Word and remind ourselves, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written, and we make our choices based upon what God has said and not what the devil wants to tempt us to. And when Jesus did that, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. I told you earlier, I've not always made the right choices. You haven't either. But you know what I have found out in the times that I made the right choice? When I remembered God said this, this is wrong, this is right. When I remember that, there's a peace that comes almost like the angels coming to minister to you. When you hold true to his word and you you do what he said. Satan wants you to believe the Bible is just an old archaic book. And it doesn't really matter in this day and time. But Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He he wants you to doubt whether or not you can depend upon the Scriptures. But Paul, under divine inspiration, writes this to young Timothy. And he says, all Scripture, not part of it, not the part you want to pick and choose. All Scripture is breathed out by God, is inspired by God, and it's profitable because it does come from God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God said what he said, and he meant what he said. And our defense to the temptation of Satan is to hold 
to God's Word. In a moment of temptation, don't just give in. Stop and think, what does God say? Call time out. Look for the door of escape that He promises He'll give us. Call time out and consider what God says, not just the temptation. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. I want you to understand that tragedy can come from entertaining doubt. We continue in verse 2 and verse 3. The woman replies to Satan. She replies to the, to the serpent after he says, well, did God say you can't eat from all these trees? She replies, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I want you to notice two things I think are very strategic, very important in that statement. First of all, let's talk about the tragedy of partial truth, of partial truth. Partial truth means you've got some truth tied to it, but it's not completely the truth. Partial truth is very dangerous. It's very misleading. And even in this statement that Eve makes, there's partial truth. Verse 2 said, And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Now I want you to compare that with what God really said. Look at what God really said in chapter 2 and verse 16. God really said, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat, what's the word? Freely. Eve left that out in her reply to Satan. And I'm just telling you, I think that's huge. Because freely means she didn't have to work for it. She didn't deserve it. She couldn't earn it. God provided it by his own grace, completely free of charge. In her mind, saying, well, you know, God said we could, you could eat of that. That's not as clear as saying God said we can eat of it freely, except for the one tree. See, partial truth is dangerous because it allows room in our mind and heart to doubt the goodness and the motives of God. Just maybe Eve had already started to doubt some things, maybe. Because, see, God had spoke directly to Adam, I think is what the Bible says, and I think Adam probably told Eve what God had to say. Maybe like, you know, you think, I don't know if my husband's telling me the truth or not, you know? So maybe she already had some doubts just a little bit. But the fact that she drops the word freely is huge because it, it's like a legalistic mindset maybe that's, that's being dealt with in, in her mind. See, the, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm pointing this, I want you to carry it forward to salvation. Eating of all those trees, God said it's free. It's by my grace. I provided it for you. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. I put it there for you to eat, for you to enjoy. Bring that forward to salvation. Salvation is free. And if we drop that word out, it completely destroys the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did everything necessary, paid everything necessary for our salvation. 
partial truth is very dangerous. Oh, Jesus died on the cross for sins. I like it more like this. He died on the cross for my sins, my personal sins. Or some people interpret the gospel with Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he took his life back up. No, the gospel is Jesus died for my sins, for your sins, and was buried and took his life back up. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 3. The, this righteousness from God, being made right with God, comes through faith, not works. In Jesus Christ, to all who believe, not work. There's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all messed up. We all fall short. We all are sinners. But we are justified how? What does it say? Freely. We're justified freely by His grace through the redemption, in other words, Jesus paid for you on the cross with his shed blood. The Bible says in the Amplified Bible, those same verses we, we just looked at, uh, not all of them, but part of them. Here's the way the Amplified Version puts it. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God, freely and gratuitously by his grace his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and a propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement reconciliation to be received through faith. Eve responded with a partial truth. Partial truth is very dangerous. It leads to tragic circumstances. If you believe salvation is anything other than something that is free, that God provides you when you trust in his son, you have destroyed the gospel in the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because none of us are worthy, none of us can earn it, none of us can grab it by ourselves. God gives it to us freely. Partial truth promotes legalism in a false perception of God and his love for us. Partial truth feeds the seeds of doubt and leads to distrust of God and even rebellion against God. A lot of people walk around and hate God because they think he's just a big rule maker and they've never heard the rest of the story. They've never opened their hearts to the rest of the story that Jesus loved them so much, God in the flesh, died on the cross for their sins and did it all and screamed out it is finished before he died. So that through faith in him, we can receive salvation freely. Justification freely. Not just a tragedy of partial truth, but I want you to notice also the tragedy of changing truth. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's what Eve said. Let's do a comparison again. What did God really say? Go back into chapter 2, verse 17, and it says, But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Did you see the phrase, touch it anywhere in what God said? Did you see that anywhere? God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. God did not say, you shall not touch it. 
And the reason that's important, because when we change truth, when we add to God's Word, when we add man-made rules to God's Word, that's the path of legalism. And legalism can separate people from God for all eternity because they misunderstand the message. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this. I've said it before, but it's been a while. Imagine a coin. Legalism and liberalism are, are, are different sides of the same coin. Liberalism is denying things about God, not believing things about God. Legalism is adding to the message of God, adding to his, his salvation, adding to God's word. And both are very destructive to people's lives. Also, God clearly said, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Eve put it like this, lest you die. Now compare those two phrases for a minute. Lest you die, you shall surely die. Which one convinces you really you're going to die? Lest you die, to me, sounds like maybe a little bit of wiggle room. May, you know, maybe that's not completely true all the time. Maybe it's okay for me to do this. But God said you shall surely die, and that doesn't sound like there's any wiggle room at all, does it? She changed God's word. She also failed to mention that in chapter 2, verse 16, God commanded the man, saying. She didn't refer to it as a commandment. And you'd have to look in the original language and the original Hebrew to figure this one out. But, but Eve even copied the devil when she referred to God because she used the same name for God that Satan used. She called him Elohim, which is kind of like a general reference to God, when what she should have been using would have been the Lord, which is the Lord God, the Jehovah God, the God of the covenant. So she refers to him kind of in generic terms, when up to that point she should have been referring to him as the Lord of the covenant. So Eve took from God's word, she added to God's word, and she changed God's word. And before you think that's not a big deal, the Bible says, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Everything that I command you, you should be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Here's the biggie. (laughs) I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them God will add to him the plagues described in this book, the book of Revelation. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. Is that not just a little bit scary? Now, let me tell you what that isn't and a little bit about what it is. I've had people come to me before that thought there's only one translation of the Bible you ought to ever read or or look at. 
And they'll point to this and say, if you're using any other translation of the Bible, which, by the way, that particular 1611 translation is also a translation of the Bible. It was a translation of the original languages, and it's being paraphrased. Words have been changed in it some 40 times, I think, since it, since it came out in the revisions of it, even in the King James. That's not saying you only read one version of the Bible. You understand that? That is not saying it is wrong also to do word studies or anything like that. What it's saying, it's wrong for you to completely change the intent and the meaning of the Word of God. It's kind of a serious thing that Eve might not have realized when she was responding like she was, but she, she shared partial truth and, and she shared changed truth instead of what God really said. And Partial truth and changed truth can be very destructive in our lives and lead to tragic circumstances as we see happen here, regrettably, in this story of Adam and Eve. Eve's deception. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says she was deceived. Eve's deception and and Adam's disobedience. Think about this. Adam had God tell him face to face. Eve's deceived. Adam willfully chooses to disobey. The result of it is this. It throws the whole human race down the tubes of sin. Did you hear that? Because of their choice, Because of a choice that began with doubt, all of mankind become sinners. What I want you to glean from that in a practical way, that's a doctrinal aspect of it, but in a practical way, just maybe you and I need to be careful about our choices. We need to be careful about doubting God's Word. We need to be careful about the choices that we make in our lives because our personal choices can affect a lot more than just us. People walk around this world, well, it's my life. I get to do what I want. No, what you do affects other people. I can illustrate that with my own life, me being the pastor of this church, and hopefully, you know, I, you, don't look up to me. Don't put me on a pedestal. I want to tell you that as a side message. I'm human. I can fall as fast as you or anybody else. You understand that? I am not infallible. But still, hopefully, you know, y'all come here for a reason, and hopefully maybe you, you, you enjoy some of what I have to say and things like that, but you realize I could fall in such a way that could tragically destroy the testimony of this church and the way you feel about me and even the way you feel about the church. You can make a choice that can ruin your family. You can make a choice that can ruin your kids. And in a practical way, we, we need to be on guard about that. I, I didn't say anything about this in the first service, but I happened to look over this way and I, and I see Todd leaning over listening you know, like this, as I'm saying that, and instantly I think about us going into the prison. Those guys didn't plan on going there. It was a choice that maybe started with a doubt about who God is and what God's intentions were, and if God really loved them, and if, and if God really said some things were wrong. 
our choices can affect many others. That's why Paul, I alluded to it earlier, that's why Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you, talking about these believers in Corinth, to one husband, Jesus, to present you as a pure virgin, the bride, to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, the same serpent that misled Eve is still about trying to mislead people. And the reason we need to study things like this is so that we won't be trapped by his devices. Eve, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, and I know she didn't have access to this truth, but the Bible, the Bible says they give no opportunity or no room, depending on your translation, or not to give a foothold to the devil. There, there's a phrase there in the Greek that means don't allow the devil to set up a military camp a camp of operation in your life to where he can attack you and attack your family. Don't give room to Satan. She should never have given room to him. But she engaged in this conversation. Satan planted some doubt in as to what God really said and to whether God really was holding out on her. And she decides to take a bite of that fruit that God said. Don't eat. See, Satan's no pushover. He's not a god, but he's no pushover. And the reason we need to study things like this is for this reason, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. So up front this morning, first step, first Sunday in this series, step number one of his design is this. He wants to get you to doubt. If he can get you to doubt, that opens up the door a little bit. Gives him a little bit more room. Next thing you know, he'll be getting you to deny. And it'll lead to some problems like death, separation, distance from God, and even affect your descendants. This is not a myth. Not a fairy tale. The second man, Adam, is real. (laughs) Died on the cross for our sins. That means the first man, Adam, is real also. And because of his actions, his choices, messed us all up. And from this story... All the way through the rest of the Bible, God begins telling us that I love you, I've got a plan for you, and ultimately he sends his son to make it really clear, and his son dies on the cross for our sins. So you and I, who are separated from God because of sin, can be reunited to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible calls upon us to repent to turn away from our sin, to agree with God that we sin, and to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the times we've allowed doubt to creep into our minds. Father, I I understand we're all human, and probably everyone here has had certain doubts from time to time. 
Father, forgive us when we as believers listen to the ploys of Satan and we, we're not alert to the design that he has, the strategy that he has, and we allow him to plant doubt in, in our mind. But Father, I also pray for, for someone that may be in this place this morning that has never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Maybe they've had this doubt. about whether you even exist. They've had this doubt planted in their mind by the world that we live in that, that any religion's okay. Well, whatever doubts they might have, maybe they just doubt that they've been so bad they think that, that you won't accept them. But Father, I, I pray you help them right now with their doubts. Help them to have the faith they need to trust in your Son. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a uh, we live in a dangerous world, crazy world. Satan appears as an angel of light. I think he can even do things like. Start this religion that people think, oh, well, that's just as valid as Islam's just as valid as Christianity. And, and, and there, there are people right now, dangerous people in the world, killing people because they won't convert or killing people because they're Christians. Satan's got a lot of people tricked, a lot of people fooled by different ways. That's just one illustration. Don't let him fool God loves you. He proved it by sending Jesus to die for you. Please stand as we do this song. If God speaks to you, we invite you to come for any reason. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.